Thank you, men. Man, between first service music and this service, we've had some amazing worship that equals one very crazy Pandora station. It's all over the gamut, um, which I like because that fits the diversity of a church uh, and what God um, uses to express himself. So, men, thank you, and thank you to these great guys here who are setting up the stage for us. As we continue our Relationships 101 uh, series, we started it last week, Doyle began, uh, this look at how do we do life with others. And today we continue with the series talking about forgiving others and the challenges that go along with that. I want us to look at a story of two moms in Scripture to kind of set the stage for how difficult forgiving others just can be. Uh, it's a little-known passage in Scripture, but it's one that's always captured my interest, not so much for what is said in the passage, but for the questions that are left unanswered. Uh, I find often that God uses questions in the space with which we wrestle with those questions as one of his greatest tools to challenge us and to teach us. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can also follow along on the screen from 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Later, two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Please, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. We were together. There was no one else with us in the house. Only the two of us were in the house. Then this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your servant slept. She laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, I saw that he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, clearly it was not the son I had borne. But the other woman said, No, the living son is mine and the dead son is yours. And the first said, No, the dead son is yours and the living son is mine. And so they argued before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. While the others said, Not so. Your son is dead, and my son is the living one. So the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. The king said, Divide the living boy in two. Then give half to one and half to the other. But the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because compassion for her son burned within her, Please, my lord, give her the living boy. Certainly do not kill him. The other said, It shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide it. Then the king responded, Give the first woman the living boy. Do not kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to execute justice. The significance of this story is an example of God's wisdom in Solomon. And it's that's usually the main point of this passage, and it's a valid one. But I think there's a lot of other important lessons that we can get from this scripture, especially from the other people, the ones who are lesser known, but still important. There is the lesson of the mom of the living son who, in order to save him, is willing to surrender him to this other woman, the woman who made him, her think that her son was dead. 
and now is willing to kill him. And there is a lesson to be learned as well from the grieving mom, the mom of the dead child. I wonder what her personality was like before that tragic night, if maybe that triggered something in her that makes her the woman we see in the court. I wonder if she and the other mom were friends. You know, they lived together. They were pregnant at the same time, giving birth within three days. Did they share stories of those first kicks together? Did they run out for, you know, pickles and ice cream when weird cravings hit? These are questions that we can't have answers for. When we enter the story, we enter into the courtroom where one woman pleading says one thing and the other woman says something else. And King Solomon sits on his throne rendering a judgment that is incredibly wise. But I wonder, what is the rest of the story? What happened after they left the court of King Solomon? Was the grieving mom ever punished for her crime? Did anyone ever recognize and look past the anger and the deceit to the hurt that was most likely underneath her? That she was a grieving mom who the night before had killed uh, her son by laying on top of him and in desperation she did this act. And, And instead of embracing grief, she held on to anger and bitterness. And what about the mom of the living son? I mean, how now does she live with this other woman? How now does restoration happen for either one of them? Did she ever forgive the grieving mom? Did she ever find mercy or forgiveness in order to restore and forgive the woman who made her think her baby was dead and put him in harm's way? We have no way of knowing the answers to these questions. We never hear of these women again. King Solomon takes over the spotlight and they disappear into the shadows along with the baby from whence they came. But this morning, I would like to bring the living mom out of the shadows for a bit and have us listen to her story and sit with it and ask the question, if we were in her situation, would we be able to forgive? If that had been done to our child, would we be able to move on and forgive? Would God expect us to I think it's really important to just voice some things sometimes, to call them out into the light, not let them lurk in the shadows of our hearts and our lives. Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a great day. It's a day full of blessings and love, flowers and cards, a day where restaurants flourish and gratitude for mom is nourished. It's a great day. But Mother's Day is also a hard day. It's a hard day full of memories and Moments that can hurt. It's sad for those who've always wanted to be a mom, but that hasn't happened. It's hard for those whose memories of mom are hollow memories full of neglect and abuse, abandonment, where memories of love and nourishing should have lived. Mother's Day is a hard day for moms who are separated from children due to death or disagreements or distance, and for children who are separated from their moms for the same. It's okay to celebrate. There's lots to celebrate today. And it's okay to be honest that today is a hard day for some. Forgiveness is sometimes easy. Every day we forgive things and we move on. We forgive the guy who cuts us off in traffic, unless we have a buildup of grievances and then we read about you in the news. We forgive our children for not cleaning up their toys. We forgive our spouse for snoring through the night. 
We forgive the teenager for putting the empty milk jug back in the refrigerator. Every day we forgive those things because to hold on to every grievance and every wrong would make life unbearable. So the question this morning is really not, should we forgive? The question is, to what extent are we expected to forgive? Is there ever a limit to that? This is the question that Corey Tinboom asked. Corey and her family were Dutch Christians who helped rescue and hide Dutch Jews during the Holocaust. The Nazis found out about what they were doing and they were all arrested. Corey's dad and sister and her were sent to concentration camps and her dad and her sister died in those camps. After the war, Corey returned to Holland and she began setting up rehabilitation centers to help people move past all the trauma of World War II. In 1947, she was speaking in a church in Munich, Germany about forgiveness when she recognized a man in the audience. He had been one of the guards at the camp where she and her sister were held and he was one of the most cruel guards there. After she got done speaking, the man came up to her and He didn't recognize her, but Corey recognized him, and her her blood froze as all the sights and the smells and the memories came back of that time. And he said to her, I was a guard at the camp where you and your sister were held, but since that time I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me of my sins, but I need to hear it from your lips. Fräulein, will you forgive me? Corey, who had come preaching forgiveness, now found that she could not forgive. She said it seemed like hours as she pondered the most difficult thing she's ever had to do. She knew from her experience working with rehabilitation centers that those who forgave former enemies were able to move on and to bring life again. Those who harbored and held on to the bitterness remained invalids. Corey knew that forgiveness was not an emotion, it was a decision. She knew that it wasn't a feeling and that it's an act of will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And she knew that her Savior commanded her to forgive. So she prayed silently and and said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So she put her hand in his hand, and she said an amazing thing happened. There was this current in her shoulder, and it ran down her arm and into their joined hands. And she felt this overwhelming sense of healing come over her. And she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. There stood former prisoner and former guard, hand in hand, the power of Christ uniting them in forgiveness. The question of what extent we are to forgive would be a natural question for Rwandan Tutsis after one million of them were killed by Rwandan Hutus in the 1994 genocide. One million in a hundred days. Twenty years later, reconciliation is still happening one encounter at a time. And recently a photographer went to Rwanda to capture these encounters and photographs and There's a photograph of one woman with her hand on the shoulder of a man who killed her father and her brothers. In this picture, the man on the left, the perpetrator, asked for forgiveness of the man on the right because he participated in a group who killed the man's brother. 
And this is what the surviving brother, the, the man on the right, said. Sometimes justice does not give someone a satisfactory answer. But it, when it comes to forgiveness willingly granted, one is satisfied once and for all. When someone is full of anger, he can lose his mind. But when I granted forgiveness, I felt my mind at rest. See, this mom is surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, far greater than this, who can give witness to the fact that forgiving others is hard. It is difficult, but it's not impossible. With the power of Christ and our willingness to allow him to work in us, forgiveness can happen. This seems to be the question in Peter's mind when he asked Jesus in Matthew 18 about forgiveness. Beginning in verse 21, Peter came and said to him, Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? You can almost imagine Peter being like, wow, that's so generous. I'll forgive him seven times. And Jesus would be going, hardly. You should forgive 70 times seven. Now, know that Jesus is not saying that you should forgive him 490 times, and on the 491st offense, stick it to him. Rather, he's saying that, that it is a posture of lifestyle. It, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an ongoing thing. It doesn't take accounts. This kind of forgiveness far surpasses what we would ever say is reasonable. It, the expectations regarding forgiveness that Jesus gives to his disciples are some of the most demanding aspects of discipleship that, that are ever presented to us. But we can't ignore them. Jesus calls us to push the boundaries of what looks reasonable. The same crowd of witnesses that surrounds this mom surrounds those of us that are here today that are still struggling to forgive others. They say to you and to me that it seems impossible, but it's not. And we're not alone. And we're not without the power of Christ to work in us. You see, I believe that unresolved anger for intentional or unintentional wrongs is one of the most devastating enemies of the heart. You're forgiving uh, others in, in the shadow of all of our hurt. It seems like we're letting them win. Or seem like we're giving up on justice being served. We have to surrender that fear. We have to call out all those hurts and bring them into the light, out of the shadow. Acknowledge them. Put them before Christ and work with them in an emotionally healthy way. So, the most important place to begin when thinking about forgiving others is to sit in the knowledge of how much God has forgiven us. That's the very beginning spot to realize all out of his love for us that Jesus Christ has forgiven. When he asks us to do this radical forgiveness, it's not to do it through gritted teeth, but out of the knowledge that we have been forgiven. And we are called to do the same and offer that forgiveness to others. So when we are willing, despite our feelings, to begin the journey of forgiving someone in our life, uh, we begin a slow, hard, challenging process. In his book, Enemies of the Heart, Pastor Andy Stanley talks about four cycles that we go through in the cycle of forgiveness. And I want to share those four cycles with you today, these phases The first one is to identify who you are angry with. Take some time to make a list, mentally or or down on paper if you need to, of who you're angry with. 
Who has wronged you? I mean, who in your life, in your past, um, would you imagine having conversations with? Who are people in your past that if you could pay them back for what they did and not get caught, you would? Who are people that you secretly enjoy seeing fail? Who are people that you blame when life is going bad? Make a list of these people and, and go all the way back that you can. Family, friends, work associates, neighbors, fellow church members. And write those names down. It isn't fun, but it's important in order to purge your heart of unforgiveness. And that, whether you realize it or not, is affecting all your relationships today and will in the future until it's dealt with. The second thing, determine what they owe you. Now, don't skip this and, and think instead that you can just forgive in general. I forgive you. Okay? It's important to know not only a person that hurt you, but exactly what did they do and what did they take from you. What would you need them to pay back in order to try and make things right? Would it be money or time, affection, a marriage, family, a job? Be very specific because you can't cancel a debt that you haven't specifically identified. The third thing, cancel the debt. After identifying what was exactly taken from you, you must cancel the debt. That means deciding that the offending party doesn't owe you anything anymore. Now, this is usually where we get stuck, right? We desperately want to collect. Collecting seems like justice. Canceling seems like letting them win again. The most difficult hurdle of canceling a debt is the realization that we can never really connect, collect on it, right? I mean, how can you collect on some of these things? How can a man who abandoned his family ever repay the time and the affection? How can uh, you restore those things? How does a spouse pay back for years of abuse or neglect or emotional roller coasters? You see, there's an emotional element involved in hurt that can't be compensated for through apologies or promises or money. We simply must cancel the debt. It can't be repaid. And to cling to our hurt while expecting and waiting to be repaid only furthers the seeds of, of bitterness and anger within us. Some of you can cancel the debt just in a, a mind thing or a heart thing. Some of you actually need to write it down and then burn the, that list, shred it up, maybe shred it up and line a birdcage with it. We would never pick up something that we've lined a birdcage with. Maybe you just need to get it out of you that way and to process it. What you don't need to do is post that list on Facebook and tag people in it, or tweet it out, or mail it. Forgiveness is a private matter. Debt canceling is a matter between you and God. Reconciliation is public, pardoning is public, but a work of forgiveness in your heart is something that God does within us. Fourth, dismiss the case. The final process centers on a daily decision to not reopen the case. What makes this so difficult is the fact that even though we may decide to cancel a debt, our feelings don't always keep up with the decision or the will. You know, things will happen, and it will bring back all the memories and all the emotions and feelings of what happened. And at that point, we usually do one of three things. 
We either, one, uh, blame the person with more intensity than ever before, or two, we beat ourselves up going, man, I thought I forgave, but I don't feel like I forgave, and I'm a loser. Or third, we just pretend like we don't know it. We don't feel it, and we just ignore it. What we need to do is instead bring it out of the shadows, into the light, acknowledge it, and then remind ourselves that the decision has been made. We cancel the debt. They don't owe us anything. By the power of Christ, the debt is canceled. We remind ourselves that God has done the same for us, and we keep moving forward. This morning, these witnesses and so many more say to us, forgiving others is not easy. Not easy, but it's not impossible. And followers of Christ are not only commanded to forgive, but we also understand that the only way to truly live is to forgive, to be set free. Our God is a redemptive God. There's nothing that God cannot redeem and bring good out of. Forgiveness often is that healing start that something that would have been poisonous to us has been made into something that God uses for good. And as the Rwandan brother said, when someone is full of anger, he can lose his mind. But when I granted forgiveness, I felt my mind at rest. Will you bow your heads this morning? Forgiving others is not easy. It's easy to say but very difficult to do. And I know in this room there are a million different stories and situations where forgiving others is required. And we can't begin to understand how you feel or what you're going through. And my prayer is that none of the words this morning made it simplistic or made it think that we think it's just a decision that you need to make and it won't be a struggle. What we want to profess this morning is that you're not alone in that. You have a God who continually forgives and models it for us and promises to be with us in every step of the way of offering forgiveness and finding our minds and our spirits at rest. So this morning during our time of invitation, we invite you to pray. If you're struggling with forgiving someone, we invite you just to begin the first step of just acknowledging that, naming that person in your time with God and asking for him to help lift your hand and supply the feeling as you begin forgiving. Redeemer God, this morning we acknowledge that forgiving others is hard. <clears throat> too hard for us to do on our own. We need your help. We need you to help us cancel the debt so that our minds and spirits may be at rest. Remind us this morning of how much we have been forgiven so that we may forgive others as you have forgiven us. Amen. As we sing during invitation time, we invite you to respond. Britt and I will be here at the front. If you need to just come pray at the altar to begin the process of forgiving, if you need to pray with one of us, we'd love to do that. If you're looking for a faith community of people that are not perfect, that struggle along the way, um, but believe in a Christ who helps us every step, um, this is that faith community, and we invite you to be a part of it. If you are here and you're like, I have never, ever acknowledge that I have things to be forgiven and that Christ could forgive me of that. We want you to know this morning that he is that kind of Christ. We have that kind of God. There's nothing that you've done or ever could do um, that surpasses his grace. So this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you'd like to visit with one of us about how your sins can be forgiven and you can begin that journey, we would love to visit with you too.
Let's stand and let's sing.